all bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we do come before your throne of grace this morning. Lord, as we sing and as we read in the scriptures, who can we turn to? Where can we go but to the Lord? Especially in times like these, when we need a saviour. In times like these, we need an anchor. Oh Lord, we pray for your presence with us. We pray that you would be our unseen guest and you would speak to our hearts the spirit of Christ and that each and every one of us may receive that which is needful for ourselves. Be with those that could not be here, the sick, the shut-in. Be with Brother Edwin as he's recovering. We thank thee for that. Be with all those that are shut-in and isolated and uh, visit them through closed doors and Help us also to be your hands and your feet and your voice to those that need comfort and strength and encouragement. Bless us now as we look into your word, for I pray and ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. My, <clears throat> my children often say that, Dad, you've got a song for everything. Not for everything, but... Um, one song that, <clears throat> a couple of songs that came to my mind over the last couple of days, and one especially this morning, uh, is sort of the preface for the message this morning. And we've all heard it before, in different ways, in different times. It's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And it goes like this, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, in the current of his love, leading onward, leading homeward to the glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens for me, and it lifts me up to glory for it lifts me up to thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, never more. And with that, I would like to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, just at the end of 52 and the beginning into 53. So Isaiah 52, let's start reading at verse 13 and we'll continue into 53. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which hath not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up 
before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear the iniquities, their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he's poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I've read the entire chapter of 53 as well. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what can we say? We've heard these words together, and <clears throat> I don't think there's anyone here that does not marvel at the the mysterious language that we've heard. Who is this suffering servant? Who is this one that will sanctify many? Who is this one? who suffers and thou art satisfied in seeing his suffering. 
we can only understand this passage through the lens of Jesus Christ, realizing that he is the one at the center of this chapter, that it is his soul that was poured out unto death, and that by his stripes we are healed. Many will hear these words during this upcoming Christmas season. Many will go to the concert halls to hear Handel's Messiah performed and listen again and again, as many have over the last few hundred years, to these words. But how many will understand? To how many will this truth be revealed? Heavenly Father, we pray that thy spirit would be active among us this morning and even throughout this Christmas time as people will hear these words, that they may ask that all-important question, who is this one who has suffered on my behalf? Heavenly Father, we pray for a blessing on our brothers who would expound thy word unto us, that we would be able to also understand and to bow our knees before uh, our great conquering hero, the one who conquered sin and death and hell on our behalf, that we may join thee in glory one day. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up in prayer unto those especially those that have lost loved ones recently. We're mindful of the Schmidt and Falkenberger families and others perhaps that have recently lost loved ones. Be with them and comfort them in their grief, Heavenly Father. Be with those that are going through difficulties, especially those that have chronic illness or, or even terminal conditions. Heavenly Father, lift them up uh, on wings of faith that they would understand that this, this life is not it. This life is not the end, but there is another life to come, and it can be so much better than this life. Heavenly Father, help us to remember also that if we do not bow our knees before thee, it can be so much worse than this life as well. And so the time that we are given is indeed precious. Dear Lord, be with us now as we would hear thy word. Be with those that could not gather with us today, and bless us now with thy, the presence of thy good and holy spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What we have before us is a chapter, as mentioned many times over this pulpit, a chapter that the Jewish people stay away from because it's too convicting. It's too close to what actually happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago that there was a Messiah who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. It's just too close. As the brother prayed, and he asked the question rhetorically, who was this one that was depicted in this chapter, in the previous one? Who is this servant? In chapter 52, verse 13, behold my servant, shall deal prudently. Who is this servant? Well, the Jewish people would like to, those that are the leaders of the Judaic sect, of the Judaic religion, would say that that is Israel itself. Because it does say in previous chapters, and does call Israel my servant specifically, and in, in that context, Israel was his servant, God's servant. 
But there's something very unique about this chapter that completely um, the, 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 the doubts and the, the questions are, are completely erased if, if we are honest with ourselves and if the Jews are honest with themselves. Let me, for example, focus towards the end of chapter 53 as, a, as an illustration of that. When he's saying he shall see, in verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul. God shall see the travail of the soul of this servant that is written about. And shall be satisfied, for by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This one righteous servant cannot be Israel, the nation, because they have these iniquities that need to be dealt with. So he's not saying my, my servant Israel is righteous, and at the same time he's saying this individual or this servant will bear their iniquities. It's, it's a contradiction. That's just one very stark uh, differentiation between the nation and between this individual. You know, when, when Jesus was on the earth and he was faced with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that opposed him, it was very clear that he was delivered out of envy. It was very clear that they coveted their position of authority in Israel and that the masses had gone after him and not after the Sanhedrin, the high priest. They met him. They talked with him. As, as, as the apostles said, that which we have felt, we felt with our own hands, we have touched. He's the one that came and dwelt among them. He was a real physical presence, but he's also the real spiritual presence of God on the earth. If you look into the very Targum, which is, which is the, the Hebrew scriptures paraphrased, it actually, in that Targum, it says and it interprets... In, Isaiah 53, and says, Israel, my servant, and then, or, or my servant, and comma, the Messiah. They actually insert Messiah in their Targum. And in their Talmud, which was written during their, apparently during their exiles, it was a uh, codification, if you will, of the law. In the Targum, they said, who is this Messiah? They actually asked the question, who is this Messiah? Who is this person, the servant? And it says, the sick one, because he bore our sicknesses. In some way, they envisioned that this, this Messiah would become sick because he took our sicknesses upon himself. It's not that they are without 
any preconceived, if you will, understanding of who this servant in Matthew, in in Isaiah uh, 52 and 53 is. And as we go through this scripture, you will see that there's just too much to deny it. Those that were on the trip to Israel with us, even in our church here, remember the tour guide that we had. His name was Aaron. And he was, I thought he was a Messianic Jew, but he wasn't. I, me- I mentioned this before. When we, jo- when we stopped in Joppa uh, with the bus, he was the f- went ahead of the team while everybody was getting off. And I ran up to him and I said, Aaron, are you a Messianic Jew? Because that's how I understood it was, but he wasn't. He said, no, I'm not a Messianic Jew. I said, are you a Jew-Jew? He said, I am a Jew, but I can't say that he's religious, that he, he's more of an agnostic Jew. And then when he was up on Masada, the tabletop fortress on the Dead Sea, he mentioned the great event that happened there when 967 zealot Jews went up there to get away from the Romans because the Romans were coming in to destroy Jerusalem and occupying the land. They went up there to fortify themselves against the Romans. And he said Masada is a place where the IDF, the, what you hear many times in the news today, the Israeli defense forces, they go up there when they're inaugurating, if you will, inducting soldiers into their army, and they have their swearing ceremony there, and they say, Masada must never happen again. What was it that happened in Masada? When the Romans were finally breaking through and building up their ramps and bringing up their big war machines and catapults, they eventually realized we have no escape and they made a plan. They said, brethren, do we want to be free or do we want to be captive? Verse something like that. And they said, we want to be free. That meant that they would commit suicide. 967 Jews. And they organized that nine, nine soldiers, nine of their army, would, would, would remain alive, but they would, re, if you will, eliminate the, whatever, 958 that were to remain behind. And then one by one, they would kill each other, and then the last man would take his life. And they drew nine coins. They made these, uh, whatever they were, little round coins, coins of clay and they put some kind of markings in there and they, they drew who was going to be the one that's going to stay behind who was going to be the one that's going to be the last man standing and it was it happened they came up they burnt their city up there they destroyed it completely and then at the end of everything when they found 
They went through the ruins. The Israelis went through the ruins. They said they found these nine coins. They were already baked by the burning. They survived this long period of time. And his words to us, can you believe that they found the evidence of this story and other people still don't believe that it happened? Well, as he usually did, he quickly moved on to the next place to, and he wanted us to follow. I ran up to him and I said, Aaron, you know what it says in Isaiah 53? And I mentioned some of these verses that were just sequential and factual and to the point. And I say, this is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And can you believe that the Jews still don't believe that he was the Messiah and he was speaking about him? What happened on, on, on crucifixion, whatever it was, Friday, on that day of that year. He says, that's right. I said, what do you mean by that? In my head. But even he, he's heard the gospel. He, he tells this tour, tourist the gospel by telling, this is what Jesus did over here. This is what Peter did over here. This is what happened at, at Caesarea Philippi. And yet, he did, didn't believe. But he said, you know, I'm getting closer. This is, a, this is a, a potent scripture for the Jews. Just the other day, someone asked, I think my wife asked me, what about what's happening now in Gaza? What's happening in Israel? You know, the, the animosity, the, the anti-Semitism that's rising around the world. What's happening to God's Jewish people? Why, why is it that the Jews are separated by the USA and hated by others? Even in the USA, they're turning on. I say, they are God's Jewish people. They are promised that there will be a remnant. There will be a remnant. The Jews will be saved. And, and, and Paul the Apostle sorrowed after the Jewish people. He said, my prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. And I wish I could wish myself accursed that they could be saved. While Isaiah was a Jewish prophet, what happened in this chapter happened to all the families of Abraham, who was, if you will, the first Jew. All the families in his, in his seed shall all the the. the the families of the earth be blessed because of what would happen that day on Golgotha, on Calvary. This is a, this is a, a prophecy that cannot be denied. What's even more astounding, was it a coincidence? The year that, that Israel became a nation in 1948, the year before that, they found the entire book or the scroll of Isaiah in the Qumran caves, amongst so many other hundreds and thousands of pieces of, of, of transcripts. 
They found them there. In its entirety. And they have the book of the, sh- the, the shrine of the book where you can walk around, I don't know how many feet, and it's the whole s- replica of the, the, sc- the scroll of Isaiah. And in the middle of that, or towards the end of that, is this chapter where it speaks about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Do we believe that? My friend, do you believe that? Do you believe that this scripture is written about Jesus Christ, the Messiah? I love Christmas time because of that, although it was an Easter oratorio. But every time we sing that and we listen to it, it, it just drills so much power to us and through us. And it talks about his servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. But before the exaltation and before the extolling, there comes the suffering. From suffering to glory, from death to life, from darkness to light. It's been the story of God's people, of God's way of bringing back His people to his fold. His sheep to his fold. But not only that we would go through the suffering to glory. But that his son Jesus Christ would go from suffering to glory. And I want to impress upon each and every one of us. As we go through our lives. And we recant of where we came from and where we are now, where our parents came from and where we are now. Do we understand that this is not just happenstance? This is just not something that just happens to humans. It is God's way of leading us back to him because it's perhaps the only way we understand until we go through suffering and understand that suffering has a purpose and a reason and a vision and a mission that in our lives we are brought to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as Romans 8, 28, 29, 30 says. We are being conformed to his image. And what was his image? What what did he go through to get to where he was? He was God, the Son, revealed to man in the flesh. But he was also one that came to the earth lowly and poor. And, And it says here... Verse 2 of chapter 53. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Jesus was a root that grew up in dry ground. What does that mean? How can anything grow up in dry ground? Arid or barren, without any water, without any nutrition. How can anything grow up? Who was the dry ground? He was born of a woman. 
the seed of a woman. He was born into Israel. He was the promised seed of Isaac through Abraham to Isaac. In his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But he came to a, to a nation that was rebellious, that was stiff-necked, that rejected him. He says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But whoever received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God as to many that believe on his name. He came to this earth as in dry ground. Philippians, oh, that marvelous chapter of Philippians, chapter 2. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, verse 5. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, nothing to be grasped at or exploited, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He divested himself, he emptied himself, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You say, well, there it is. It's Isaiah 53. But Isaiah, even Isaiah 53 doesn't end there. Isaiah 53 ends on a, on a glorious note. The gospel ends on a glorious note. But it goes from suffering to glory. It's in our human institutions, our school, and I mentioned their motto was Ad Astra, Peraspera, to the stars through hardship. My dear ones, when we go through, even as believers and unconverted, God's road, God's path is from difficult, impossible situations, from dry ground to glory, to paradise. But that's his way of doing it. Some people want it the opposite. They want their paradise now. And then they end up getting more and more degenerate and depraved decadent because I've got a back to front he became humble he, he, he humbled himself he was the, the meek above anybody on this earth Moses was the meekest man alive at that time but Jesus became meek the lamb that opened not his mouth he was like a, a lamb before his shearers he was dumb he didn't retaliate. He didn't take vengeance. He let that to God. But he grew up, born in a stable, born amongst animals. And the, it was the shepherds, the, 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 if you will, the lower class that came to him. It was, it was the, the ones that knew all about sheep. 
the one that Jesus will become the shepherd over, came to him. He had a humble beginning. He worked with his hands for 30 years. Well, minus his childhood, he helped his dad probably. Isn't this the carpenter's son? He lived in a city called Nazareth, which was the, the reject, if you will, of the Jews, because they mixed with the Gentiles up north. He came out of dry, dry ground. He had no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You go back to chapter 52. As many were astonished at thee, his face was so marred more than any man that his form more than the sons of men. They couldn't recognize him. He was brutally beaten. He was punctured and wounded in five different ways. Beaten, pierced with the, with the, with the nails, pierced with the sword, crown of thorns upon him, whipped. And he became this unrecognizable person. And he is despised. And he was rejected of men. This is not Israel. He's talking about Israel. He's talking to Israel. He was rejected of men. Israel doesn't reject Israel. Israel rejects the Messiah. A man of sorrows. His life was like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the one that was lamenting. He was also considered to be a man of sorrows. All he had from Israel was sorrows. For 40 years he was preaching to the nation of Judah, repent, repent, the, the enemy is coming, repent. And they said, peace, peace, peace. And Jeremiah says, there's no peace. You say peace, peace, there is no peace. You will be invaded, you will be judged by another race. And he that judges you, God will judge. There seems to be no comeliness, nothing that is attractive about him. Despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God's people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, John says. Isaiah says, he came to us, and we esteemed him not. We didn't respect him. We didn't take any value out of him. They knew better. They knew. They thought that Messiah was going to come in a far more glorious fashion. But then he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Isaiah, speaking in the spirit, said, surely he was the one. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. But just like many people today, the Muslims and other religions say, God could not have died on a cross that doesn't happen to God. That doesn't happen to someone who is all-powerful and almighty. 
and able to squash his enemy under his thumb. No, that, can't, that cannot be the Messiah. We esteemed him not. We didn't have that, that view of him. But instead, God smote him for whatever sin he committed, for whatever wrong he had done. God smote this man. We esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. But Isaiah says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. That's why I always say Isaiah was the John of the Old Testament. In my view, the way Isaiah spoke and the way John spoke of the Messiah are synonymous. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, what belonged to us, the punishment, the payment for sin, what belonged to us, was upon him. And with his stripes. Stripes is probably a euphemism here for what really happened to Christ. It wasn't that he just got a few whips. We know the story. We know of the great terrible crucifixion and the pain and the agony that one went through and the shame and the rejection that one went through when he was put on a cross. That cursed tree that even the Old Testament said, cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Quoted in the book of Galatians. And all we like sheep, we are the ones. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. My dear ones, as Peter writes, let us never Forget that we were purged from our sin. Let us never forget that we were purged from our sin. Because as soon as we do that, we go back into it. Second Peter. Let us remember at all times what Jesus has done for us. And we should not count the blood of Christ as some unprecious, unholy thing. Some do. They tread on the blood of Christ because they come up with something better in their lives. They walk away from God. And that's a deadly sin. To tread upon the blood of Christ, Hebrews 10 says. As if it was an unholy thing. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. That is 
the greatest sin you could probably commit, and that is to turn away from Christ, to tread upon his blood, because you found something better. We are as sheep that have gone astray, every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid upon the innocent Lamb of God our iniquity. He placed it on his shoulders. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb before his shearers, he was dumb, the meaning not speaking. And he took it patiently. He took it meekly. Not requesting retribution. Not seeking vengeance. Because he loved humankind so much. He's brought As a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. You can go to the Gospels and see what happened on the night that he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane with a band of soldiers, whatever there was back then, some say 600. He was arrested and taken to Caiaphas' place where he was received a mock trial there. He was placed in prison. He was placed, apparently, in some cistern in, in the bottom of, of a, 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 a Caiaphas's place and waited until the morning when he would be pulled out and taken to Pilate. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. This was Jesus. This was not the nation of Israel, as some would say, the Jews would say. This was a man. This was a man. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death was they pointing to were they pointing to um, the rich man who gave him his tomb his, his, his Joseph of Arimathea were they talking about Joseph were they talking about Joseph Who were the wicked? The thieves on the cross? One, at the last minute, acknowledges Christ as Messiah and says, Remember me, Lord, when you enter your kingdom. And the other one gnashed at him. He saved others, but he can't save us or himself. What a drama that was. And it wasn't just staged. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. Joseph was a rich man. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
It pleased God. Can you imagine that? It pleased God to bruise his son. Who would have pleasure in bruising your own son? It's tied in with, I believe it's Hebrews said, who for the joy that was set before him, he knew it wasn't the end. He knew it wasn't the finale. He knew that after the crucifixion and the death, there would be a resurrection. And for the sake of the people that he loved, he had pleasure in delivering them. Not pleasure in delivering his son, in delivering them through this means, which was a temporary means of, of him being in the grave for three days, being mocked and reviled, God in the flesh. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make him a soul, an offering for sin. When was Israel made an offering for sin? The nation, never. There was one man, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God was made the offering for sin. He shall see his seed. Christ would see the seed that would come forth from him. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This had to happen. This had to happen. It was the only way. Could there be another way? Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, is there any other way? My dear friend, outside of Christ, there's no other way. There's no other way for us to be redeemed from this, this sinful flesh and this sinful earth. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, the, the, the thieves on the cross that were with him, that one became righteous through his declaration, that today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Why? Because he prayed a prayer. Lord, remember me. Remember me. Oh, my dear friend. Can you pray that prayer? Can you say, Lord, remember me? Can you? Will you? Will you cry unto God, remember me? He wants to remember you. 
But sin cannot enter heaven. Sin cannot enter heaven. Sin must be crucified, nailed to the cross with Christ. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. Are you willing to be crucified with Christ? Are you willing to go from suffering to glory? There's no other way. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The book of Luke quotes this whole issue that Jesus Christ was interested in Gave his life for the transgressors. Chapter 22. Do you... Which side of glory do you want to be on? Which side of glory do you want to be on? If you want glory there, and be with Christ there, you need to be with Christ here. You need to be with Christ here. You need to accept the blood of Christ. You need to accept his sacrifice on the cross here. Because it doesn't happen over there. Only those that are in Christ can have this comfort. Let's go back to um, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. My dear friend outside of Christ, Christ suffered. He that suffered in the flesh, First Peter says, was free from sin. We have to have that mind, not that Jesus sinned, but we have to have the mind that when we also suffer affliction for his namesake, we will be free from the power of sin. Not that we earn our salvation but that we are in obedience to his spirit. And it's that spirit that liberates us and gives us power over that sin. My prayer, as it was Paul for Israel, my prayer and desire is that ye may be saved. May the Lord bless you.
Our Father in heaven, how, how more plainly could it be said uh, than what we've heard today? We, uh, we're so grateful, dear Father, that you've made it so black and white for us. And that any temptations, dear Father, or any fanciness to reinterpret what we've heard into something other than it actually is will only lead us to destruction, dear Father. We've seen it <clears throat> throughout the world, dear Father, who those who try to manipulate these words and the descriptions of an event that happened, a description that was, was made 700 years before it actually happened, and how close indeed it was to actually what did happen should wake us all up, especially those who don't believe what we've read, what we read today. We thank you again, dear Father, a stark reminder once again of your truth and how it cuts both ways, dear Father. We are so blessed and so grateful once again. We thank you for this. We see how our Lord and Savior, dear Father, as it says in Philippians, as pinned to a cross, dear Father, went all the way down, even death on the cross, all the way down, it says, dear Father, to the depths of God forsakenness, that he may gather us all up in the love of the Holy Spirit and his name be exalted above all others. From the depths, dear Father, to the courts of glory, we saw his path. We thank you again for this, dear Father. May it be a, a reminder, not only to ourselves, but to the rest of the world who has heard this message today as the words virtually scream off the pages, dear Father. It happened the way it was. Our Lord and Savior is who he says he was, dear Father. How many times do we have to read this before we take it to heart, dear Father, and live our lives accordingly? We thank you again, dear Father, for what you've given us today, what you've given us this past week, dear Father, the blessings we've seen and the ones we have not. We're grateful for them all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems like in these last few years, there's been a lot of suffering. The war in Ukraine, the current conflict in Gaza, that's begun. The Holocaust, the residential school system, a lot of suffering. Seems like one of the worst things that we can do about suffering, the most morally repugnant thing to do about suffering, is to deny its, ha its existence, it's, it's happening. Think about the Holocaust deniers or those that would uh, not acknowledge the suffering of those that have been wrongly treated. We consider that morally repugnant, awful. In fact, humans demand justice often for suffering. The current conflict in Gaza is only the latest round in a, in a tit-for-tat struggle where each side tries to inflict more suffering on the other for past wrongs. What will you do with the suffering of Christ? He suffered on your behalf. You can't deny it. That won't work. There will be justice for the suffering of each one that has suffered here. One day there will be a righting of wrongs. But look at our Lord. In spite of everything that he suffered at the hands of those who mistreated him, yet he still reaches out in love, in mercy. He's reaching out now. You can deny his suffering on your behalf. But one day, 
it says every knee will bow before the lamb that was slain. That's an awful thing for those that have not acknowledged that suffering on, on, on our behalf here. He stretches out his arms on the cross to everyone in the greatest display of human love. You know, I, I think sometimes what would happen if in this current conflict in Gaza, if his people, the ones he reached out to save, if they had embraced his teaching, what would happen if in the face of the suffering that was inflicted on the Jewish people, those horrible attacks by Hamas, if they had instead turned in love to those that did those things? if they had followed the example of their Messiah, what would happen? Where would the next generation of terrorists come from? Rome tried to stamp out the early church through suffering, through, through making public display of the suffering of the Christians, and yet the church grew. That is the love that conquers all. Now is the time to respond to that love. There will be a time when it is too late. But it's now that his grace and mercy is extended to all of us. This concludes our service, and may God dismiss us with his blessing. Amen.